morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. How are you guys? Good. We continue this series out of the book of Acts, and I titled this series Uncommon, just the uncommon movement of God. Now, I've got a quote for you. It's going to be up on the screen. I want you to contemplate this. We owe it to ourselves to disagree around some things. Now, I've taught that to teams and leadership consulting and so forth and so on, and that statement just troubles me. Does it at you? Because I don't like conflict. Now, some of y'all like it. Say, yeah, we did get down and dirty, hammered out. But the truth is, we're going to disagree, aren't we? Isn't that true? And there's going to be conflict in this world. You will have trouble, Jesus said, but fear not, I've overcome the world. And most of the trouble we have is with ourselves, with people. Now, Paul said that it this way, if possible... As far as it, as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. Now, if possible, as it depends upon you. Now, can you control other people around you? Can you control the person you're married to? <laughs> then why are you trying? Can you control your kids, especially your grown children? No. But as far as possible, as it lies with you and you, be at peace with all people. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, we should be peacemakers and not conflict livers. But we are. Jesus said it this way, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Says that in the great Sermon on the Mount. We owe it to ourselves, how do you like this quote? To be in unity around what matters, to extend grace around stuff that doesn't, matter, and to show love in all matters. Y'all like that one better? Yeah, I had to write that because I didn't like the other one, but they're both true. And how can we show love in all that matters? The problem is the conflict's a part of life, and we're going to experience that conflict, but how can we walk through it? Even if you're a hermit, you're going to be conflicted with yourself. So how do you deal with that? Now, here's some conflict facts. These are some things that I jotted down that might spur our conversation. Conflict handled properly can be a pathway to deeper intimacy. Do y'all believe that? It's true. It's true. When you walk through a situation and you hammer it out, you work it through, then there builds a level of trust, a level of expectation, a level of hope, and it can be. Conflict can become a catalyst to peace. When you get sick and tired of being in conflict, you're going to make peace. Hopefully, one day that's going to happen in the Middle East. 4,000 years of it right now and counting. You can, have a, you can have a close relationship and be conflicted around different ideas, functions, and preferences. You don't have to agree on everything, but you just don't have to be disagreeable about everything. Because we all have different views, especially, y'all, in our divided nation, here's something I want you to listen very carefully. In this room, <laughs> my voice is changing, in this room... We have Democrats and Republicans. Did y'all know that? That's true. I mean, going, what? Yeah, we did. We did. Can we show love even though we differ in political opinions? Wouldn't that be a great lesson for our media to pick up? That it's okay to disagree around certain matters, but it's never okay to be disagreeable, to be contentious, to be snarky, to be inappropriate. Huh. Now, some of y'all thinking, you just a compromiser. Well, get over yourself. I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's be like Jesus. Conflict doesn't have to be resolved 
to be at peace. Hmm. There may always lie a point of tension, but you can still be at peace. Most conflict is rooted in unmet expectations, unrealistic demands, or personal selfishness. Conflict can lead to self-discovery. I can learn just how selfish I really am. Do y'all ever get into an argument with your spouse and you go, you make me so mad? Do you ever do that? You make me so mad. And the truth is, no one makes you do anything. You choose to respond in anger. What I should say when Tara and I are conflicted like that, you reveal to me how selfish I really am. <laughs> and that, that really starts exposing the root of the problem. The root of the problem is me. It's me. Now, there's some things we have to work through in love, but it's conflict is tough, and how do we handle it? Now, it's really embarrassing when believers are conflicted or at odds in an open dispute. It's really embarrassing. It embarrasses God and it embarrasses the church, it embarrasses society. When church people, people who are supposed to be people of peace, live this way. And here in the middle of Acts, we find two giants of the movement, Paul and Barnabas, in a conflict. Now, I want to be honest with you. When we were working through the book of Acts and planning out the sermon series, I got this and I thought, we just skip that, we'll go on. But we kept coming back to it and I said, you know, there's a greater lesson here that I probably need to learn, I need to deal with. I've never preached on this passage before, so you're gonna get a, you're gonna get a dose today, and I, and I pray it'll be beneficial to you. Now, the dispute was over a team member, a person. His name was John Mark. Now, Paul was black and white. Paul saw things clearly black and white. Do y'all have people in your life that are black and white? Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas were in the conflict, Barnabas was very relational. Do you have people in your life that are very relational? Usually a black and white person marries a very relational person. You know, have you heard the, th the, the statement, opposites attract, have you heard that? And when they're married, opposites attack? And so it's that, that conflict. So Barnabas was more relational, Paul was black and white. Barnabas saw who you could become, Paul saw who you were. Barnabas saw your potential, Paul saw your deficits, and Paul was always like that. And they were in open conflict over John Mark. John Mark went on the first missionary journey with them, and he went home. Some theologians said he got homesick for mama, and he went home. Now, here's the, here's the rub. John Mark was Barnabas's cousin. And Barnabas said, Paul and, John, and, Paul and Barnabas were about to go on the second journey, Paul said, Barnabas, let's go and on our second missionary journey, plant some more churches. And Barnabas said, yeah, let's go. Let's take John Mark. Paul goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. He left last time. We ain't taking him with us. He ain't going. Now, John Mark wasn't a complete loser because he wrote the book of Mark. And so he did come out all right. But he was also probably the young man who was with Jesus during Jesus' ministry. And so not only did John Mark see did hear from Jesus and he wrote down what he saw and heard. He was also close friends with Peter and the rest of the apostles. He was in with Barnabas, his cousin, and, and he probably was the guy mentioned here. And a young man followed him and nothing, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. This was at the Garden of Gethsemane. And they seized him and he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. That was probably John Mark. So he was naked dude in the garden. Hmm. Paul didn't want him to go because 
he was just like not dependable. Barnabas did because Barnabas was relational. This caused a conflict, but there's some lessons here I think we can learn. Not just looking at this caveat in history, but lessons we can apply and look at our own lives and say, how are we going to live uncommon even when we deal with an uncommon conflict? Are y'all ready? All right, that's three, that's enough, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you wanna say to us this morning, and I pray that you will speak through me, speak to me, speak to these people that I love and you love more. And I pray we'll walk out of here with a clarity of how we are in conflict with you, but you have resolved that conflict through the cross, through the resurrection, through your mercy and grace. And we pray this in your strong name, amen. Now, you might wanna take some notes, so go ahead and take out your, your bulletins, your notes guide, something, your phone, you can jot some things down on. I'm gonna read for you out of Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, 36 through 41. Let me read. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be up on the screens and you could follow along. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take, John, uh, take uh, with him John called Mark, John Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take him, uh, take, take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to, to the work. And there arose a sharp, Disagreement. Not just like, I don't think you ought to go, well, I don't need that. No, a sharp disagreement between them. So they separated from each other. Paul and Barnabas, the dudes that were leading the, the movement, separated from each other, very public separation. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. That's where Barnabas was from. John Mark was also from Cyprus. They went to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed having been commissioned by the brothers to the, to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria, Sicilia, and strengthening the churches. It's very interesting, because I looked at the map of where they went. Tara and I have been to those places in Turkey where Paul and Silas went. And we saw the place, and we knew, we've been to the place. It's very, very interesting, very beautiful, very interesting, very Greek, very Roman, and there was some things that God was doing that we don't see but we're gonna see them in just a minute. You see, there's a difference between uh, being conflicted and being divisive. These guys were conflicted, but they were not divisive, even though they separated from each other. Now, let's kind of pull into that. Paul and Barnabas, was both, they were both unified in the gospel. They knew that they were gonna live all for Jesus. They existed to build lives that honor God. That's why they existed. And they were in agreement around that. The problem was around a person, John Mark. And if we look at most of our conflicts, we'll see that they are around people and not theology. People and not theology. I deal with churches a lot. People problems are harder to solve than theological problems. Do you know that? I deal with churches a lot. And when dealing with churches, and when there's a church split, when the church decides to go separate ways, the group that's leaving will always claim theology. The group was staying will give you the truth. It's relational. There's a relational break. And so we make up a theological reason to have a relational separation. And so we really need to examine our own hearts and our own lives. Now, sometimes the division is theological. 
when the theological drift is toward liberalism or the, not the authority of the Bible or catering to culture, there's a separation. Okay, I get that. But most of the time, it's over a personality. I agree with this pastor, and these people do not agree with this pastor, so I'm going to go with this pastor and start a new church. Or, or here's the biggest scourge. I'm going to decide to create an insurrection to have the pastor fired. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm a pastor. And I'm not saying that because you're going to cause an insurrection to fire me. I'm not saying that. In fact, some days I think firing would be blessed relief, kind of like death. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay? But the truth is, it's that kind of divisiveness that destroys churches. And it's not conflicted. It's satanic. It's satanic. And so you look at this, you say, okay, conflicts are to be resolved. But some people are divisive. It's the difference between conflicted. Okay, what do you mean, Scott? Listen to this. This is what Paul said in Romans. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord, but their own appetites and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. They deceive the hearts of the naive. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Bad company corrupts good character. Am I starting to sound like your mama? That's in Scripture. Paul said that bad company corrupts good character. And he says to the church in Rome, avoid these people. Why? Because doctrinal error was the uh, soup du jour of the ancient world. Different things that were coming out of the, Alexand the Library of Alexandria, different things that were coming out of the Far East, different, just different kind of things that were happening. Paul wrote this to Titus, and Titus was bishop on the island of Crete. Crete, they were called Cretans. So when somebody's really evil, what do you call them? They're a Cretan. Sometimes you look at your little two-year-old grandchildren and say, none of them but little Cretans. <laughs> little nasty hands, nasty feet, nasty mouths. That's what they are, little Cretans. Cretans, the, the people of Crete, Crete, were known for being liars and deceivers and thieves. And Titus was the bishop there. Paul said this to Titus. As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and twice, have nothing to do with him. Knowing such a person is warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. Wow. So you look at conflict that can be resolved and divisive people that need to be avoided. That doesn't sound very Christian to me, does it to you? But it's biblical. If you're a person who's causing division, you need to get right with Jesus. If you're a person that's in conflict, you need to figure out how to live in peace in the middle of that conflict. And most of the time, it's looking at your own heart. Now, here's, I'm going to give you a real positive thing. Okay, here's something really good. God can take a negative thing and use it for his glory. Did you know that? God is the master of taking your mess and making it a message. Taking your misery and making it a ministry. God is the master at doing this very thing. This conflict was explosive and very public with Paul and Barnabas. Everybody saw it and went, whoa, dude. I imagine it was a little awkward to be around those two when they were going after it. 
okay, we're going to walk away now and let you guys figure it out. But it looks like the leaders of the church at Antioch didn't walk away from it because you see their response, and I'll give you that response in just a bit. Barnabas should have submitted to Paul's apostolic authority, but he didn't. I think Barnabas was dead wrong in this. Barnabas should have said, Paul, I realize you're the apostle, and I'm not. If you say we're not taking John Mark, we're not taking John Mark. Let's go. Let's go. But he didn't do it. Let me let you a little insight here. Something I thought about this morning. Some people believe that Barnabas is the one who wrote the book of Hebrews. And we really don't know who wrote Hebrews. Some think it's Paul. Some think it's Crispus. Some think it's Apollos. Some people think it's Barnabas that wrote the, the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 17, 13, it says this, submit to those in authority over you so that it may go well with you, that you will not cause them grief. That's kind of the Weatherford Revile Substandard Perversion translation of it. That it goes well with you. Barnabas may have looked back and said, Paul was right and I was wrong. Now that's just total conjecture because we don't know if Barnabas actually wrote Hebrews. But whoever wrote it said, you better submit to those in authority over you. You want it to go with well, well with them because it's not a benefit to you if they are under stress and pressure and undue harassment because you refuse to support them. Oh, that's uh, Hebrews 17, 13, uh, 13, 17, excuse me, 13, 17. You want to look it up and read it for yourself. Okay, here's the good thing that came out of that. Paul then picked up Silas. Silas was a Roman Jew as well. Paul was a Roman Jew as well. They were both Romans and Jews. They went into a Greco-Roman world to preach to the Gentiles. What better team to have than two guys that were Roman citizens working in a Roman world? In, when they were in Philippi, they were incarcerated for creating a riot and beaten, which is illegal for them to incarcerate and beat Roman citizens. When they revealed to them they were Roman citizens, the Philippians let them out of jail and then sent them on their way with a little jingle in their pocket. That would not have happened if they'd just been two Jewish guys. They'd probably beat them, killed, and the movement would have been dead. But God knew what he was doing. He put the right team together. Paul and Silas, this is why I think Barnabas was wrong, because Paul and Silas was commissioned by the church to go, and Barnabas and John Mark just left, and there was no commissioning for them. Barnabas and John Mark leave the scene of Acts, and it becomes about Paul and Silas then. Hmm. So adding this stuff up, I'm going, okay, Paul could have been softer, but he wasn't. He never was. And that may be a character flaw of Paul. I don't know. Who am I to judge another man's servant? Paul said that in Romans as well. But God built two teams out of this conflict. Paul and Silas, then they picked up Timothy. Then they picked up Titus. And then Barnabas and John Mark. We have to remember that God's in control even when we're in conflict. conflict. He is in control. Hmm. Conflict is a great time to do some self-examination. When you're in conflict, when you have something going on, and maybe Paul and Barnabas did this, I don't know. Maybe I should have been there to consult them. Guys, have you considered this? 
That was arrogant, sorry. Some questions you should ask yourself. Did I cause this conflict? Am, am I at fault here? And if you're at fault, eat crow. Eat crow while it's warm, cold crow sticks in your throat. Am I wrong? Second question, did I do something that made it look like I caused this? Was it my behavior? Was it my body language? Was it my tone of voice? Sometimes my body language and my tone of voice give off different messages than what I really intend. Did I appear to cause it? Have I appeared to exacerbate it? Now here's where I have to really be discerning what external influence is happening that's causing this negative reaction. Is there pressure coming from somewhere else that's causing this other person to react this way or causing me to react this way? What's going around on around me? You know what this is called? The gift of self-control, y'all. The gift of self-control. And then the last thing I should ask is, how can I bring about resolution? What can I do here? What can I do here? Sometimes it takes time. Time. And in the way you love, and the way you honor, it takes time. Here's the last thing I want to tell you. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Now, with that said, I know you're looking at your watch and you went, what? He's going to let us out this early? Don't get that excited, okay? There's more. Did these guys ever fix the problem? Did they ever bring about resolution? Did they ever come back together? And the answer is yes, they did. Yes, they did. They fixed the problem. Paul and Silas and Timothy, Titus and John Mark are all seen together in the light, one of Paul's epistles that they were reunited. Paul says that John Mark is here with me, that Titus and Timothy and Silas and Paul. Barnabas, what about Barnabas? Why is it Barnabas mentioned there? Okay, Barnabas, Paul included him in the defense of his authority as apostle found in 1 Corinthians 9, 6. He says, he says if you could look that up, 1 Corinthians 9, 6. That when, this is what he says. This is what Paul says. He said, is it just Barnabas and I who have to make a living while other apostles bring their wives along with them and you care for their other needs? See, Peter was married. How do we know Peter was married? Because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Usually when you have a mother-in-law, you have a wife. Right? Some people believe that's why Peter denied Jesus because he killed his mother-in-law. Okay, never mind. And so Paul was giving the defense. Now, get this. In the timeline of things, the timeline of things, Barnabas and Paul separated long before Paul arrived in Corinth. Why would he use Barnabas as a defense in Corinth if they weren't already reunited? Hmm. We don't see the kiss and make up scene of Paul and Barnabas. We don't see that. And what we could do is we could take this, and I think a lot of theologians have this, done this, Doc. They've taken this caveat and pulled it out, and they've looked at it, they've analyzed it, and they don't look at the resolution that's happened because these two godly men worked it out. And we don't see it. I wish we could see where Paul and Barnabas sit down and Barnabas says, hey, dude, uh, you know, back there in Antioch, John Mark, yeah, I said, you know, I was wrong. Paul goes, I know. I know you're wrong. Because, you know, Paul's, Paul's black and white. Yeah, you're wrong. 
Yeah, you know, I mentioned in my book in, uh, that uh, we should probably submit to leaders. Yeah, you probably ought to. And I mentioned in the letter to the Romans that, uh, you know, that we should, like, not let division spring up. Barnabas, yeah, that's true. And then Paul looks at Barnabas. He said, you know, Barnabas, I, I think God causes all things to work together for good that for those who love him and call according to his purposes. And Barnabas said, yeah, you know, you're right. You ought to write that down. That, that may have been it just resolved itself. That was Romans 8.28, by the way, if you just didn't catch all that humor. But that was part of it, that these two godly men worked it out. And so what does that say? We need to work it out. Now I want to give you a little extra stuff. Y'all ready for some extra stuff? Okay, here it is. Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a dumpster fire of conflict. He writes this. He said, be angry, but do not sin. This is in Ephesians 4. I think it's 25. I think, I think 24, 25, 26, 27, somewhere around in there. He says, be angry, but do not sin. And the word for sin there, be angry, excuse me, be angry, the word for anger there is a word in Greek used for righteously indignation. I am angry for a just cause. Be angry, but do not sin. All right, what would be sinful if I'm angry? If sin, being sinful would be slandering and gossiping and causing division and taking physical action, retribution. But I can be angry over something that I'm justifiably angry about, but I don't need to sin. I don't need to slander or gossip or take physical action. I need to pay attention. And then he says, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. That second word for anger in fact, the King James does an interesting thing. It translates those words as two different words. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Your wrath. That second word in Greek means this. Selfishly motivated because you didn't get your own way anger. Don't let the sun go down on that. Figure it out. Is it okay to be angry? Yeah, Jesus was angry. Is it okay to sin in your anger? Never. Do I need to deal with my own selfishness so I could stay out of the, out of the, the weeds of a sinful heart? Because this is, the, this is the result of a sinful heart. Rage, slander, malice, bad behavior. Anger is the, the rot of all relationships. So I need to deal with that so I don't. I'm not going to let the sun go down on that. You remember your mama saying to you, don't you go to bed mad. And that's not just good marital advice, it's just good life advice that we need to deal with anger because anger is the rot of relationships. Huh. Y'all find that to be interesting? And here, Saul, uh, Paul, and Barnabas Barnabas and Saul were angry, but they didn't sin. It wasn't selfishly motivated. But God did some pretty cool things in this. John Mark wrote the book of Mark. Had he gone with Paul on Silas on the missionary journey, being a Jew, he probably would have been killed at Philippi. He wasn't. Or Pamphylia. Paul went back to Pamphylia. He was stoned and left for dead. 
He got up and walked off. You can read about it. It's amazing, the book of Acts. John Mark also had the time to spend with Peter. And as he wrote his gospel, the first gospel, Mark, he interviewed Peter and got a lot of background and detail. Of course, Mark was obviously there as well. And here's really the big conclusion I come to in all of this is that God uses broken people. He uses broken people. He used people like you and me. And I'm not Paul and you're not Barnabas and you're not Barnabas and I'm not Paul. I'm not Timothy. I'm not John Mark. I'm not Silas. I'm not all these people, but I sure share a lot in common with them. And the the commonality I have is that I'm sinful and broken and I need Jesus. Isn't that your commonality with them? Is God going to use you in a great way? I have no idea. We have no idea how God is going to use your life or the influences of your life until the books of eternity are closed and time is no more. We have no idea. What you do here ripples into eternity. It ripples. And so I realized that God uses broken people. I'm a broken person. And so all I can say to Jesus is, Jesus, I'm yours. Please use me. Don't let my brokenness be an excuse for my inactivity. Let my brokenness be a pathway for your glory. And I don't want to be broken just so you could use me. I want to, be, I want to realize I'm broken so you will use me. So you will use me. So what does that have to do with us? Are you conflicted about what? Figure it out. Are you willing to allow God to use you in his desires and not yours? Are you being divisive in conflict? Are you being a person of unity and peace? Do you know what? You don't have to like everything. Did you know that? Did you know that? But you don't have to be a jerk about everything. Did you know that too? I will use the Greek word jerkamos. You don't have to be a jerkamos. You can be a person who's rational and loving and caring. Is your conflict with others, is that a result of your broken relationship with God? Because you're broken with God and you're disjointed from him, is that influencing your relationship with everyone else? And I'm going to give a big yes. Yes. Because when I'm in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, he has the authority through the power of the Holy Spirit to shape my mind and my heart that I might become under his conviction and under his conviction, it might lead to a life of correction. But when I don't belong to Jesus and his Holy Spirit doesn't have the influence on me, then I just become a menace to society. So bottom line, I need Jesus. Don't you? Mm. So you owe it to yourselves to be in unity around what really matters. To extend grace around stuff that doesn't matter and to show love in all matters as we live all for Jesus.